Welcome to Mining Stock Daily, produced by Clear Creek Digital and Investment Research Dynamics Mining Stock Journal. Today is Friday, August 31st, and I'm Trevor Hall. Today we share my interview with Lobo Tigre, a.k.a. Louis James of the IndependentSpeculator.com. This was a great interview, which, which hit on a number of junior resource investment topics, specifically a look at the current speculations of Great Bear Resources over the past week or two. But he also discusses a number of other topics, including decreasing risk through timing of exploration projects, and then about his experience working at Casey Research under his mentor, Doug Casey. We'll run that interview in just a few moments, but first, some news from the mining and metals sector. Brixton Metals released a drill report from its Langus Cobalt project in Ontario, which showed diamond-bearing kimberlite. A diamond fragment was recovered from a very small kimberlite sample. Three holes drilled encountered kimberlite breccia. More drilling will need to be done to determine the extent to which the discovery has economic potential. To be sure, it adds another layer of potential value to Brixton's silver cobalt nickel project. Brixton trades under symbol BXTMF in the U.S. and BBB on the TSX. The Mining Stock Journal has a strong speculative buy rating on Brixton. Miranda Gold shares surged 17% after Newmont Mining signed an option agreement to earn interest in Miranda's Lira Gold project in Colombia. As part of the deal, Newmont is funding a $600,000 exploration program over 18 months. Newmont has the option of acquiring up to 51% stake in the project. Miranda trades under the symbol MRDDF in the U.S. and MAD on the TSX. Investment Research Dynamics released its latest mining stock journal on Thursday afternoon, included our updates on Mineral Mountain Resources, U.S. Gold, Almadex, and Azucar. A special update on U.S. Gold will be distributed either later today or tomorrow. You can learn more about the Mining Stock Journal at investmentresearchdynamics.com. Now on to my interview with Lobo Tigre of The Independent Speculator. And welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. Today is Friday, so we do have our in-depth interviews on Friday mornings. And today we've got a great uh, connection with Lewis James. He is the independent speculator. You can find him at independentspeculator.com. Lewis James was legendary speculator Doug Casey's protege at Casey Research for almost 14 years until early earlier this year. He joined Casey. He joined the Casey team in 2004, and by 2007, he was writing and making investment recommendations in Casey's flagship newsletter, The International Speculator. Now he brings his experience, his connections, and his uh, deal flow directly to you without barrage of marketing hype used by larger publishers. Lewis, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here, Trevor, but I have to toss in a correction uh, right off the bat, and that is that Louis James is a pen name that I used uh, while writing for Casey Research. My real name is is Lobo Tigre, and I understand that that's a little bit more colorful and uh, <laughs> maybe off-putting to some people, but it, it is what it is, as they say, and the hallmark of what I do is transparency. So I, I just I couldn't write under a pen name anymore, and I had to sort of come out of the closet, as it were. 
But yes, I am the same Louis James that worked for KT Research for almost 14 years. Well, for the sake of continuity today, can we stick with Louis so we don't confuse the listeners? Sure. <laughs> You'll probably trip over it otherwise. So go right ahead. I answered a book. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I reached out to you uh, earlier last week after you had published a blog on your website, uh, independentspeculator.com, called Newsflash, an exciting discovery has been announced, but is it, is it a great speculation? And this was kind of your take on the uh, trading trends with Great Bear. Uh, for those who may not know, uh, uh, been following the news, Great Bear is exploring for gold on its Dixie project in Red Lake District of Ontario. Um, you call that Elephant's Country, uh, but Gold Corp's famous Red Lake Gold Mine is there, among others. Um, you wrote, this alone tends to get a lot of attention when a company working in the area delivers excellent drill results. And the drill, we saw two drill results, uh, DHZ003 intersected 16.35 meters, grading 26.9 grams per ton gold. And DHZ4 hits 15 meters, uh, intersecting seven meter, excuse me, uh, intersecting seven meters at 44 0.47 grams per ton gold. So impressive drill results. But you provide a different, uh, an analytical and investment uh, uh, way of looking at this. And can you kind of break that down uh, with your position, what you read? Sure, Trevor. But I want to start by saying that I'm not poo-pooing the discovery. This is a significant discovery. Those kind of widths and those kind of grades in that mine camp those are the kind of results that started uh, Red Lake for Goldcorp uh, when they took that over and, and, and Rob McEwen had his huge success up there. So I'm, the point is, yes, discovery, but is a discovery a deposit? And the valuation implied by the leap in stock prices is, is like, oh, well, now we have something of much greater value here. And that was really what I wanted to draw people's attention to. In particular, because there were two drill holes, it seems like, you know, one pierce point, and you, you don't know which direction it is. You can't tell from one pierce point. So usually you want at least two or more to define the dip, the strike, the orientation, the potential size, and so on. So it, it seems like a fairly substantial discovery. Uh, but the two pierce points in this case are very close together. Um, and they, they, in my mind, they don't really define uh, a lot about or tell us a lot about the potential size here. Uh, and at the same time, the uh, kudos to management in the very diagram that they provided showing these pierce points, uh, they showed other drill chases in the area that didn't hit. So there's pretty good reason to be cautious about the potential size of this discovery. Now, you know, it's a big enough area, and it, there could be something great there. But could is one of those tricky words, right? You know, there could be something almost anywhere. And here there's an indication, but that's not the same thing as saying, you know, we, we have the tiger by the tail, right? We know we're on to something big. Uh, we have an indication here that there might be something big. And so my question to readers was, and this is what you picked up on, is, okay, what is the difference in value between, you know, an exploration theory where we might have something and a couple of drill results that say we might have something? So I don't, my, my contention is that there hasn't been yet uh, a substantial addition of actual value. So when people are paying four times more for the stock than they were before the news, uh, but the value hasn't actually changed. It's gone from a theoretical hope to now a hope with maybe some 
you know, some more smoke indicating where the fire might be. Mm -hmm. uh, but we haven't actually added value in the ground yet. And that's what I wanted to point out to people. And I used it as a cautionary tale to tell people not to take the stock. Mm -hmm. You know, your foundation of what you share and, and write is uh, you really focus it on an educational apparatus for people interested in investing in certain projects or in the resource market in general. But what was that, you know, you kind of hit on it, but what was the ultimate education, educational point you're trying to make um, with, the, with, you know, with, with your analysis of Great Bear? Well, my point is that usually when you see a big spike of shares running up on a discovery story like this, they retreat afterwards. It takes a long time usually to figure out uh, where you're going to drill next, to follow up on the discovery, and maybe to raise money to follow up on the discovery. And sometimes the next round of drills up, even when there ultimately is a success, uh, you know, it takes a while to figure these things out, to get the orientation right. You have some blanks. There's a high risk of disappointing drill results in the next round. So the, share, the stocks often come back afterwards. And I can give you an example of that. And that's what I wanted to caution people about. The educational opportunity here was in the, the uh, you know, old wisdom of don't chase stocks. But I think we have actual examples of this and why people should avoid that. Right. Yeah, in, in the piece you wrote, I can't give you a number, but I can certainly think of a far more exciting of far more exciting discoveries that didn't pan out than the ones that did. So what would be an example of that? Several, where there was a lot of work on surface, and then they drilled it, and it didn't pan out. Uh, a radius globe had something called El Babon in Nicaragua, which is an example of just beautiful vein on surface, and it happened to be faulted off underneath. There was nothing there. But the one that really comes to mind relevant to this case is a company called Orion Resources, that symbol is AU.B. And again, not to knock the company, uh, they made a, a, a really exciting, a very exciting high-grade discovery with kilos per ton, not grams per ton or ounces per ton, but kilos per ton uh, gold grade. Uh, but the issue was that these were all grab samples on surface. And yes, there were a lot of them. I mean, it wasn't just one sample, but it was uh, multiple samples. In, in fact, a majority of samples showed really, really high grade. It was it ranged from high to bonanza. So spectacular discovery, but completely on surface. And the thing about surface results is they don't necessarily tell you exactly where they came from. I mean, if you're sampling a vein that outcrops, okay, you have a pretty good idea where it came from. But if you're sampling a boulder field, as in this case, you have to wonder where did the glacier bring these from. So uh, this stock was trading at three cents in December of 2014. It was trading at five cents in December of 2015. It was trading at 38 cents in 2016 before this discovery. So if you were holding this stock earlier on, you can see where I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. uh, when they made the announcement in February of 2017, the stock shot up to a dollar seventy-one. So if you were in at three cents or five cents, you know you're talking huge gains on this stock. But even if you happened to buy it just before, and by the way, I had recommended this stock. Uh, previously uh, when I was working at Casey Research, but not because I knew this discovery was going to happen. I, I recommended it because it was a prospect generator with good people working in an interesting area, doing all the right things, right? They had the boxes ticked as a yeah. prospect generator, and I liked that business model a lot. And we just got lucky. They made the discovery afterwards. The stock shot up. It was, it was a four-and-a-half times multiple from December of 2016 to February 2017. But here's the thing. Those were just surface samples. 
we still don't have a deposit, which is what I'm saying now uh, about Great Bear, that we have an indication, a better indication, because we have those two drill holes. Yeah. But we still don't have a deposit. We have an indication. And, but this other stock, Orient, it kept going up and up. It went up to $2.10 by May of 2017. We're still not drilling. We're still sampling the surface in this story. Um, and all the way up to $2.80 in August of 2017. So from December 2015 to August of 2017, it was a 56-bagger, if you will. I mean, just incredible gains without actually having a deposit or an economic anything, mm -hmm. uh, just surface samples. And uh, they didn't actually get around to drilling uh, until earlier this year. So almost uh, a year plus after the surface samples. And that's not necessarily bad. I mean, if I was management, I would have done the same thing. They only had surface samples. They had to figure out where was the best place to drill uh, and raise money, which of course they did. Um, so uh, by the time they started drilling, the stock was back down to 217. Then they put out drill results, and they were kind of eh, if you will, might be the technical description of these results. They did hit gold in a bunch of uh, holes, and some of it was you know, decent grade, uh, but narrow. So clearly not the source of the kilos per ton gold. Uh, and the stock tanked back down to 70 cents. It's still today, um, when I looked this morning, at $1.15, so way above 5 cents. Uh, way above you know, the 30 odd cents where I got in. Um, but I'm sure glad that I took profits when that stock soared. And I'm sure glad I didn't chase it when it was much higher in the 2 to $3 range. Yeah. That's really my message uh, today. Uh, I'm not saying that Great Bear doesn't have something. You know, they might. They, what I'm saying is we don't know. And it's, uh, it's dangerous to chase these stocks to ridiculous heights that are not justified by value in the ground. Well, and before we started recording, you and I were talking a little bit about what you had written last week, and you made the comment to me, and maybe we should address that, that readers might read that today and say he's absolutely wrong. So why why, why could readers call you out on what you wrote? <laughs> yeah. uh, because I said don't chase the stock, and doggone it, it kept going up. So I said it was, uh, you know, in Great Bear's case, we're looking at a stock that was trading around 50 cents, give or take, uh, you know, before this all came up. And it went over a dollar. It doubled um, on these drill results and closed down a bit less than a double. But I said, you know, it, it, is this hope worth twice as much as the hope before? Where's, where's the value to underpin that? Yeah. Um, so I said the dollar was too much to pay. But then it went up to close at $1.50 the next day and almost $2 the day after that. So if you had ignored me or done the opposite of what I said, uh, you could actually have almost doubled your money again over the next two days. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you know, that is the fact. That is what happened. And where we're at now is that it is starting to correct. It's come back down today. It's back down to around $1.80 right now. Um, so who knows? Right. What I would like to stress is that you often see a peak, you know, a spike on some exciting news and then a retreat. You know, does it retreat the next day or does it retreat a couple of days after? Hard to say. Um, it, I think I would stand by what I said last week now. I would, I would not chase the stock now. I think it started to correct, and I, particularly with gold uh, being as wobbly in the knees as it is right now, uh, I would watch for lower prices ahead. I mean, there's certainly opportunities for that. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting, and I wanted to get your take on just timing of all this because – uh, you know, Great Bear wasn't the only company that had put out really positive news. Uh, 
um, from uh, one or two drill hole assays during a time when we saw, you know, people would quote it as capitulation in the gold market, right? I mean, we saw complete downward trend in in the spot price of gold. Uh, The resource market prices were retreating all around the board and people saw a lot of red in their portfolios. But then, you know, Great Bear and another, a few other companies come out with positive uh, assay results and publicly disclose those. And all of a sudden, a few of those do go parabolic in their stock price and go 5, 10, 20 baggers, um, you know, pretty quickly. So I wanted to get your take, like, was were people who were following the market then and, you know, seeing the red in their portfolio, but then also seeing you know, these good numbers from a number of these companies and, uh, you know, in the, the green there, were they, were they chasing that? Was that kind of what we were seeing that they needed hope and, and, uh, somewhere sure. that, that they wanted to feel good about where their money was. Is that, was that part of it? Was the timing part of that in your mind? I'm not, I'm not sure about feel good where their money was. I, I would say that the market always loves a discovery. And we've seen this before, even during the, you know, the worst of 2008, I remember there's a company called Northern Freegold that came out with like 10 meters of 400 grams per ton gold, you know, a really spectacular drill result, which caused the stock to pop, even while the overall market was absolutely tanking, just in freefall. Um, and, and that discovery, by the way, was another one where, you know, they had a, a drill hole, right? But it turned out to be just a little pod there. And there was, there was no size to that discovery. So, uh, again, that underscores my point about being very careful. But it does also say, you know, the point you're making now is that the market does love a discovery. So even though it's, you know, sometimes, you know, emotionally difficult to hold on to stocks in a sector that's beat up, there's two reasons to do that. One is buy low, sell high. You have to be willing to buy what other people don't. So, and this is one of those times. And the other reason is exactly what you're saying right now, and that is that the market always loves a discovery. Um, so if you have the kind of stock that has that potential, and I'll point out Oregon again, and I'm not saying I, I, I can call all the discoveries before they happen. Nobody can do that. Not even, you know, my mentors, Doug Casey, Rick Wool, these people that taught me, uh, you know, most of what I know about the business now, uh, you know, they have a very broad net that they cast uh, to catch these winners. Nobody single is out just the one and picks just that one and gets your 100 bag out of that. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty much impossible to do. Um, but if you're willing to buy low in order to sell high later, and if you're willing to you know, do your right due diligence to find the right company that have the right stuff to deliver a discovery, then yes, you can bag these things, even in a, you know, what we might technically describe as a crappy market. Yeah. Well, you've just probably defined somebody's personal level of risk, and I, and I did kind of write this in my notes because I wanted to share a quote you wrote in that blog, and then we'll move on to something else. But you wrote, personally, I'm going to want to see more drill holes. I want a better idea of just what the company has discovered before I consider investing. There are still, there will still be plenty of upside at that point. Yes, I may lose some of the early gains, but I'm speculating with much less risk. So what is your message on early investing after you know, quick, positive, small amount of drill holes and discoveries, but understanding one's risk level. Yeah. 
well, again, it depends on the drill holes. There are cases, like I remember when AUEX Ventures, uh, which then got taken over by Frontier, which got taken over by Newmont, when they made the Long Canyon Discovery, um, it was a series of holes they put out, not just one or two, but a fence of holes that really showed something significant. And I was willing to bet on that. Um, and that was a 10-bagger for us plus, uh, because I really believe that was going to turn out to be a deposit from the first press release. So the point isn't whether it's the first press release on the discovery. The point is how much do we really know from these results? How certain is it that this is going to turn into a substantial discovery? And what I'm saying about Great Bear is that we're not, we don't have that kind of certainty yet. We have a positive indication. It's a great hope. But I would want to see more holes that really begin to show some size and dimensions here. And this is me personally. And I'm, I'm not Doug Casey. Right? I don't have you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that I can afford to throw such a wide net that I catch all these 10-baggers and 100-baggers that he could do. I need to be more selective. And so my personal risk-reward um, appetite is very different from Doug's. And I want to know that, and I'm willing to forgive um, and forego the earlier game because I, I can't spread that much money in the way he can around. And I want to see that something's already you know, going and going, and they've, they've got something. And, yes, I, I'll lose that on the early game, but I'll have a lot less risk. And if it is real, and if I'm right in selecting companies that actually have something now, and then it's a question of how big is it going to be and the potential is great, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm doing so with much less risk. And there, there's still a lot of value to be added in doing that. You can still get a 10-bagger out of that, or at least a 5-bagger if, if you go from discovery to mine build without a takeover. And even if there is a takeover, that's still a win. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm okay with just doubling my money or even, um, you know, having a, a high double-digit gain. I, I'm okay with that. And I'm not disappointed if I double my money. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to take a kind of a step away from this subject and just talk about you, actually. Um, uh, can you describe cutting your teeth uh, with Casey Research and, and working under Doug Casey for 14 years? What was that experience like? It was phenomenal. I have to say first that uh, Doug was a friend of mine before I started working with him. And that's kind of sometimes a recipe for disaster, right? You bring friends in and you know, uncomfortable and so on. But it wasn't like that. I was phenomenal. Doug's a great guy. He spent so much of his time and effort, and I give credit where it's due. Also, his business partner, David Galland, did so as well. Um, but as much as I owe those gentlemen uh, a great intellectual uh, debt, um, I have to say that the best part was just getting out in the field. Uh, I, I don't do what I do behind my desk. That just identifies opportunities, and it's very much my thing to go out and prove the concept on the ground, you know, meet the geologists, see what they're doing, meet the locals, see if they you know, are pro-mining, anti-mining, all kinds of things you'll never get in the corporate PowerPoint. You really have to go out in the field yourself. And in doing that over the last 14 years, um, I have traveled the world and worked uh, side-by-side with truly world-class geologists. I, I've been to 64 different countries, and I've met with David Lowell and Dick Silito and some of these very famous people and it's great just to stand next to them mm-hmm. and listen to the questions they ask, right? And watch these guys, you know, they, just like a cartoon almost. They'll, uh, they'll carry their rock hammer. They will lick the rocks. They'll do all these crazy things that you hear about geologists doing. And, and it's phenomenal to watch them work and to be able to learn beside them. And, and uh, Mr. Casey is on, uh, pardon me if this is incorrect, but you have a board of advisors 
with uh, Independent Speculator. Yes, that's correct. And who, I'm very graciously consent. Though we're now competitors, you could say. I have my <laughs> Independent Speculator, which is obviously paying homage to him and all that he taught me. Uh, but it's just the kind of guy Doug is. He's pretty relaxed. He was willing to come on my board. Uh, by the way, Rick Rule is on my board of advisors too, and some other geologists uh, mm-hmm. whom I respect very highly are on there. A mix financial types as well uh, to kind of try to get you know level heads out there to make sure that I don't get too crazy with what I'm doing. Uh, and that, but to your point, that just really says something about the kind of guy that Doug is that he's willing to do that for what is you know ostensibly a competitor of his now. So, and then I'm wondering if this is kind of um, transitions into the way you position yourself and as a business person, uh, but also as kind of a public figure within um, the junior resource market. But on your website, you write, integrity is another cornerstone of our business. Keeping the truth from the public was not an option. What is your current analysis of the words integrity and truth in our current market? (laughs) Well, or in any market, you know, the junior space is famous and the patients are famous in the U.S. for, you know, shady deals and fast talking and so on. I will say that over the years, there have been times when people just flat out lied to me and other times where there was very clearly an expectation of pay for play. I never had anybody pass me a little brown envelope full of cash, um, but I had plenty of times where people would come up to me, executives from company would walk up and say, so how much does it cost to get a write-up? You know, not even hiding it or, you know, you know, no sly look or something. They just ask, like, that's what they expect. Yeah. And then I'd say, nothing. You know, just send me your data, and if I like it, you know, we'll see where we go, and if I don't, we won't. And, you know, half the people would be, oh, that's great, I'll send you my stuff. And the other half would be like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's actually be good. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the truth of my experience is that there um, is a there's a premium, I guess, on on integrity. And if you notice in my tagline, it's integrity, diligence, results in that order. Um, but how much can you trust a guy who says he's honest? I, I don't know how to overcome this. All I can say is I'm publishing my track record. People are aware of my past with KC Research and the kind of results that I had. Um, you know, and by the way, the average over those years with Casey was 18.5% annualized gain, uh, no, annual gain, 18% per year. And that includes the wipeout of 2008, my learning curve, you know, the terrible years from 2011 to 2015, all in there, nothing hidden. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say how can you tell who's honest and who's not. And I'm personally kind of suspicious of anybody who comes up and advertises his honesty. <laughs> I, would, I would ask questions about that. Um, but what else can I do? Uh, all I can do is say, you know, here, here's what it is. Here's what I'm doing to try to disclose uh, as best I can. Um, you know, all of my possessions, I, I post on my portfolio pages, I post screenshots of my orders, the price, the number of shares bought, you know, that kind of day. You know exactly what I'm doing with my own money. Um, and I don't know anybody else that's doing that. And you can see, you know, the commissions, everything uh, on my on my portfolio pages. And that's me trying to walk the talk there. But as far as your question goes, I don't think it's just the current times. I think it's an industry where even if people aren't actively deceptive or deceitful, um, the incentives are so high to minimize the bad and uh, accentuate the good that you just have to expect spin. I, I think the, the only sort of 
takeaway that I could give people that they must absolutely remember is the default setting should be skepticism. You should assume that anything you're hearing from any company, no matter how highly recommended it comes to you, is at least partially BS, if not entirely BS. And it's your job to find out, you know, where is the BS and what's true. What about your current portfolio? Can you share with our listeners um, your approach to investing? What companies uh, you actively consider investing in? Um, is there a certain parameters that you look at? Um, can you just give us a kind of a brief overview of sure. of that? Yes, of course. So, again, one size doesn't fit all, and that's important to say, because I'm in a phase in my life right now where I am looking to maximize gain. I'm looking for my 10-baggers. I want to amass the fortune that Doug Casey has, uh, you know, doing the same thing that Doug Casey did. Uh, but I'm not there yet. So the amount of capital I have to allocate limits the size of the portfolio to a modest size because I'm not going to spread it thin. You know, we do all this work, and you can imagine what it feels like to do all this work, take the chance, and have a 10-bagger, but you, all, you have such a small amount of money in it that it, it doesn't matter. You, know, you win, and, and yeah, you know, you can break out a bottle of champagne, but it doesn't change anything in your life. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep things to a scope that I can um, you know, benefit materially from getting things right. And also for the same reasons about being in the wealth accumulation rather than preservation phase of my life, that I'm not generally looking at the bigger companies. I'm looking at the smaller companies that are more volatile. And that doesn't mean that other people should do that. Uh, that means that that's what I'm looking for right now. Sure. And as far as commodities and sectors and spaces and things, uh, I think that in today's topsy-turvy world, despite the, uh, the nonsensical-seeming action of the precious metals this year, I think everybody should, should have at least some significant exposure to the precious metals because you never know when the next 2008 is going to hit and things go crazy, and you want real safe haven assets in your portfolio. I, I believe that. I'm putting my own money there. Okay. I also believe in the new energy paradigm. You know, this shift, it's not just the battery metals, uh, but this whole shift into the, what was once the alternative energy uh, sector, that's now becoming the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things that are required that you must have for that to work. And so I'm invested in that space, too. And along those lines, I'm also not just in uh, resources and commodities anymore. I'm, I'm looking for the next Apple, the next Google, right? And I don't know that I have quite the arrogance to believe that I can predict quite that, but I do think that there are technologies that are being deployed, and I would say the self-driving car one is, for example, that, that's absolutely in my mind, no question, the wave of the future. And there have been some sensational headlines of accidents, but how many people do humans kill every day on the road? And, you know, the machines never get tired. They never get drunk. Uh, I'm, I'm very confident that that is absolutely the wave of the future, and I'm actively looking for ways to invest in that. So th- there's a sort of broad uh, description of what I'm up to. Is there anything else you wanted to add before uh, we let you go here? Well, sure. i just say that, you know, <laughs> last conversation point in mind, I would say that uh, the bulk of what I do is actually available for free. There is a lot of what I hope is highly educational material on my website, which I give away for free at independentspeculator.com. And my, my evil goal is to provide so much value in, in real value that helps people make money uh, that then people can afford to uh, pay for my monthly letter, which I admit is not cheap, but that's, uh, 
honestly to me you know I, I i provide a lot of value and i think it's a fair price so i encourage people to show up at independentspeculator.com sign up for the free stuff i will not spam you you will not get 100 emails a day promising 20,000% gains overnight um you'll get what i hope is uh, honest educational value in there that will help you make money well louis thank you for your time i really appreciate it um and i think our listeners got a tremendous value out of our conversation and uh again if you are interested in uh his writings or his newsletter please visit independentspeculator.com so i thank you again for your time and have yourself a great day thank you too thank you again to lobo tigre aka louis james for joining us on this episode of mining stock daily appreciate his time and the thorough interview he did provide us earlier this week just a reminder with the holiday coming up on monday there will be no mining stock daily on monday i highly encourage every one of our listeners to relax and enjoy the day mining stock daily is brought to you by clear creek digital and investment research dynamics mining stock journal Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein.